if if you knew me in high school and you ever if you asked me about relationships, you would probably be one of those people that were like, "Nick, get out of this now. Don't do what you're about to do." When you think about Greek life, Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian podcast. Hey, welcome back. I'm Allison and I'm your host for the Greek and Christian podcast. Uh, J-Mac is on vacation this week, so unfortunately he can't join us. But we have an awesome guest that I am sure will more than make up for J-Mac's absence. Uh, but before I introduce our guest, I want to remind us of where we've been so far. Uh, so this week's episode is part of our series on party culture. So it's the first month of school and you know that Every single fraternity on campus, whether it's at their house or offsite, is throwing a party every weekend. Um, and we're going to spend the next few episodes talking about all the things you might encounter at that party. Drinking, drugs, sex, hooking up, uh, and everything in between. Uh, but this week, we're going to talk about sex, and we're actually breaking up in two parts. So we're going to hear from a guy this week, and then we're going to hear about uh, a woman next week. Uh, but right, sex. It's the end of the night, uh, the party's wrapping up, and everyone in the room is thinking about who they're going home with. What does God think about hooking up? Uh, should God even be involved in our sex lives? And how do we have healthy relationships? Those are the questions that we're really going to dig into this week. Uh, so with that, I'm going to introduce our guest. Uh, our guest this week is Nick Quack. Hey, Nick. What's going on? How's it going, Allison? Good. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, totally. So Nick is an alum of Sigma Phi Epsilon, aka SIGEP, uh, from, yeah, <laughs> from San Diego State University. Um, and he is on staff with Greek InterVarsity. So he leads the ministries at schools in the greater Los Angeles area. That's right. So, yeah. And Nick, before we get started, we're going to ask you the question that we've been asking all of our guests. So okay. did you have a nickname in your fraternity and what was it? Yes, I did have a nickname, and my big bro. One day, he just came out of his out of the room, and he was like, "Hey!" I was just walking around. He was like, "Hey, Quackadoc!" No <laughs> one has ever called me that in my entire life, and that name. There's not. There's nothing really significant about it. There's not a story attached to it by any means. But he just said it, and it stuck. And for for the rest of my SIGEP experience in college, everyone just called me Quackadoc. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like it. Quackadoc. I like it. It rolls off the tongue. It roll. It really does. It really does. Awesome. Well, let's get into our topic, right? We're gonna be talking about sex and dating this week. All right. Yes. Let's do I it. know. And Nick, I wanna, I wanna take you back to your freshman year of college. Uh, oh so, man. Okay. All right. No. So right, eighteen-year-old Nick. Eighteen-year-old uh, Nick. Woo. All right, 2006. We're going back, Allison. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> now the audience knows how old we are. This is great. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Should have. Old man now. 
it's all good. <laughs> um, so tell us, what was it like joining your fraternity? Uh, what was party culture like on your campus? What was it like in your fraternity? Yeah, totally. So yeah, my freshman year was a really mixed experience. So uh, my fall semester, I was not Greek. I did not join right when I came to San Diego State. Instead, I went through this titanic-like failure of a relationship. I mean, it was awful. My, my fall, my freshman year was really just recovery mode. But how I got exposed to fraternity life, uh, there was a ton of guys that lived in my dorm. And they were, they were part of SIGEP, a part of that fraternity. And I just remember, man, they were so much cooler than me. I mean, they were really cool guys. And uh, as someone that wasn't Greek, I, I just remember kind of envying their lifestyle, right? Like I'm in the dorms, I'm just like miserable and they're out, they're pre-partying with all these like hot girls and then they all roll over in these mobs. They go to this fraternity party, they come back at 2 a.m., they're super drunk and they're talking about how amazing the party was and I was like, oh my gosh, that's like, that's crazy. I, I, I kind of want that. And, uh, and so I joined my fraternity my sophomore year of college. Oh, sorry, not my sophomore year. My spring, the spring semester of college. Got it. Um, Got it. Yeah, but going Greek for me, it was like a very mixed bag. It was, it was like part needing something to get over this relationship. It was like I need a new identity. It's like I desperately want a place to belong. And I felt like Greek culture, at least what I saw, just fit a lot of that. So... That was like, uh, I had very mixed motives in, in why, why I joined SIGEP, but that was kind of like the before and kind of what got me into Greek life, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. So you, you mentioned this a little bit about, you know, first semester freshman year, you had a Titanic-like <laughs> yeah. relationship. Oh, uh, so let's just talk a little bit about your background with yeah. dating. I mean, did you date a lot in high school? Or like, what was that like for you, I guess? Yeah, so, okay, let's see. Man, I was trying to, uh, as I was coming on the podcast, I was kind of like, how much do I go in description and whatnot? But um, relationships have been a part of my life since I could remember. I mean, I think from sixth grade in middle school, I mean, that's kind of silly, but sixth grade in middle school, um, all the way until even a year after I graduated, I was in a relationship except for... Um, eight months in between my freshman and sophomore year. Other than that, I've always been in a relationship. And I remember I used to like brag and boast. I'm like, oh, I have had several year-long relationships. Like it was almost like a badge of honor. Um, sex was also oh, something. Oh, yeah. yeah, sex was also something I was, I was exposed to when I was really young. I, I, I lost my virginity in middle school when I was about 13 mm -hmm. years old. And I think since then, it was like, it was just always on my mind. I mean, I was constantly, if I wasn't in a relationship, I felt like um, my life wasn't very valuable. Or it was, I had this, as I, in hindsight, I had this narrative in my mind that to be valuable, you had to be loved by somebody. Mm -hmm. And you had to be in love. You had to be making love. And um, so, yeah, since middle school, uh, I had been in and out of relationships you know, had been experimenting sexually in all these different relationships. And, and I mean, when I wasn't, when I had a couple of stints in between those relationships, I had also, like, developed this pretty intense, at least what I would say now, like, addiction to pornography as mm -hmm. well. 
-hmm. And that was with me strongly in high school, strongly in college. Man, I remember, I, I don't know, feel free to move me on, Allison, no, well, if I'm I just going just in too much. <laughs> real quick, but like, you know, pornography is so common, and even with women, too. Like, we don't really talk about how, you know, women can get really wrapped up in that and as well. And so when you say that, I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this can relate to that. Like, even if they weren't sexually active with someone, you know, it's, more, it's pretty likely that you were um, exposed to pornography. So, yeah, so freshman year it sounds like you were in a relationship with someone yes and uh <laughs> the disillusion of that the, or dissolving of that led you to join your fraternity so I mean do you want to talk to us a little bit about that relationship your freshman year sure yeah I mean it was it was one of those if, if you knew me in high school and you ever if you asked me about relationships you would probably be one of those people that were like Nick get out of this now <laughs> Don't do what you're about to do. So I, I lived in NorCal. San Diego State is eight hours south of where I lived. And the only reason I applied to San Diego State was to be with that girl. And oh. she was a year above me. It was, it was my sole intent of going to college. It wasn't for academics. It wasn't for a career. It wasn't to try something new and get out of my home. It was 100% to be with this girl. If I did mm. not go to San Diego State, we would not get married. And it was a dysfunctional, broken, messed up relationship. Before I moved there, she had cheated on me with a guy in Greek life. And uh. I was like, I don't even care. I forgive you. I'm, I'm, come, I'm going to be there with you. And, you know, I, I, I get into San Diego State. I moved down there. And then the first week I got there, she was like, no, I'm done. She had been dating somebody else. Mm. And I was just, I was just, I mean, to me, Titanic-like, like it was yes. really, it was really bad. And even after that, you know, we had we had taken a class together because we planned for that when I was coming to San Diego State. And for that semester, we, I, I kept my heart open. I was like, yeah, keep dating that guy. That's okay. And I'm still here. Let's make this work. And I was just kind of dangling from a string. If things weren't working out with that guy, she'd come back and we'd talk. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And and then I was just, as you can imagine, my heart was just getting thronged back and forth so much. Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't do it. I was just, I was in a bad place after that relationship. Oh my gosh. I mean, that sounds like torture. Being in a class, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty torturous, Moving yes. to a school for your yes. girlfriend and having her dump you right before yes. you get there. Yep. Or someone else. And then being in a class with her the whole time. So I, I had a similar thing. I mean, I started dating someone my freshman year of college and yeah. we were in the same major. And so when we broke up, I mean, we'd see each other all the time and it was just oh gosh, not pleasant. Yeah, it's that feeling of like when you're walking on campus, it's a San Diego State was a 40,000 person school and you're just like, every time I was on campus, it was, I'm like, oh my gosh, am I going to see her? I'm trying to avoid her in these places, but I kind of want to see her at the same time, but I really don't. You know, she's going to be with that guy. You know, it was like this constant oh, man. mind screw. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> totally. I totally get that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your fraternity. So you joined sure. the fraternity second semester. Yes. Um, you're reeling from this breakout, breakup. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, so what was that like? Like, how did you and your brothers interact about, sex and dating or what was the culture around like sex and women in your fraternity yeah it was pretty wild I mean there okay so some of the cool things about first joining the fraternity it was like 
it was it was almost like you inherited some of the traits of what your fraternity was known for hmm. right like i go from being this freshman that knows nobody that's not connected to anything and then i joined sigep and when i was in sigep in my four years of college just to give some context of our chapter um, we were an 180 man chapter we won sports overall sports in ifc two out of the four years we also won an academic award for highest academics in ifc oh, nice. three out of the four years um, and so we were, I mean, and we just threw parties all the freaking time. I mean, it was like, you know, you have your smaller parties that are like one or two times a week during the week, your tequila Tuesdays, your wine Wednesdays, those are always happening. Even during the craziest midterm seasons, mm -hmm. there's always one guy in the house that's like, I don't have midterms, come on, let's rage, right? Like, there's always something small. And then on Friday, Saturday, there's always something big. Mm -hmm. And then once a semester, we had this permit party where you get a permit from mm -hmm. the city, make as much noise as you want until midnight, and we go balls to the walls. I mean, I think, I think every time <laughs> we had that, we had 10 to 15K invested in those parties in our social budget. I mean, they were crazy. Wow. Yeah. Um, when, I was in, when I was in college, too, I remember consecutive years, 2007 and 2008, we were in Playboy's top 10 party schools. And... Um, yeah, I mean, San Diego State, there's just there's a huge party culture surrounded around it. What, what that looked like for me personally when I was in SIGEP, as someone that didn't honestly didn't party much in high school, it mm -hmm. was it was a little terrifying. Yeah. It was like it, it was it was like I joined a fraternity, even though I'm insecure about partying, so I can just be confronted with that all the time. And so I can get good at it. And so I could learn from other people. And with my fraternity brothers that joined because they wanted to party and hook up, I mean, it was like once you walk into your fraternity doors and you're at a party, it's like the beginning of the night. It's like everyone's assessing who's the girl we're going to hook up with, who's, mm -hmm. the, who's the group over here that we're going to start talking to. And then from there until 1 o'clock in the morning, it feels like everyone's in this mad sprint of you know, drinking up these people, trying to hit on him or trying these new techniques. I remember, oh my gosh, I remember a couple of my fraternity brothers, they were reading these books on how to hit on women and they're trying <laughs> all these techniques and like, hey, quack, watch this. I'm just like, guys, this is like, that technique is so messed up. You know, like it, it just felt Did like- Did they have any memorable pickup lines? They, you know what? What I remember the most about it, like one book that one of my fraternity brothers was reading, I forget what it was, but- it was basically like, yeah, when you when you're first meeting this girl, like just be a dick to her, like just be just be mean, poke at all these things. It was like intentionally find these places of insecurity, oh and and then all of a sudden flip the switch, and then it's like it's it's so weird and messed up. But like uh, speaking as a woman to the audience, yes. that is the worst advice ever. Oh. Please don't treat <laughs> right? women at parties like a dick. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It was it was just fascinating to me, right? But suffice it to say, it felt like, you know, I remember when I was a newer member, I didn't get this as an older member because I, I had a lot of leadership when I, uh, the longer I went in SIGET. But when I was younger in my fraternity, I remember if there's elongated times where I'm talking to my fraternity brothers at a party, there's always that drunk senior that walks mm. by and he's like, hey, why are you tools hanging out with each other? Go hit on girls, right? Like, mm -hmm. that was always the feeling at the time. It's like, if I'm not mm -hmm. talking to a girl, if I'm mm -hmm. not, like, or if I don't look like I'm having fun or look mm -hmm. like I'm, you know, buttering up somebody, then I'm a tool. Like, that's that's mm -hmm. what it felt like to be in my fraternity. Yeah, and yep. 
Yeah. Last week we talked about image, right? We talked about like body image, right? Who you appear to be physically, but also just like your personality and everything like that and how there's so much pressure to like conform to who you think you should be in the party atmosphere, right? Whether it's being the funny guy or the guy that all the girls (laughs) want to get with or, or as a female, right? Like the one that all the guys think is hot or that you want to get with. And so, right. But there's so much underneath that, like that is driving you, whether it's to control your image or control the situation. And um, well, yeah. So what, what was your relationship with women like after that relationship ended and as you were in your fraternity? Yeah, so as that relationship ended, I mean, really, it, it, I was really trying to find my identity. And I feel like you start to become or you find your identity in the place that you, that, in the environment in which you place yourself. And um, I had this really, like, I had a, a little bit of a come to Jesus moment before I joined my fraternity. And then mm. I joined SIGEP and I kind of threw that under the rug because I was like, mm-hmm. wow, no one's talking about faith here. Mm-hmm. Did I, you grow I, up with like a Christian background at all? No, no, no. I came to college as an atheist. I had no belief in God, no care for God. And then it was like kind of amidst that Titanic relationship where these Christians in my dorm were like mm. helping me navigate faith a little bit. And I became intrigued mm-hmm. and then joined fraternity. And I'm like, not intrigued because <laughs> no right, one is talking yeah. about this stuff. You know, it's like I got people that are me that are saying like, hey, like, what does Jesus say about sex and dating? And I got my fraternity brothers that have a lot to say about sex and dating, and they're both very different. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I think when I was a pledge, I I didn't really know what else to do. It was kind of mm-hmm. like I'm so I have these older members that are pressuring everyone to hook up. I got my pledge brothers. I'm looking to my left. I'm looking to my right. Everyone's hooking up with somebody, and I just kind of followed suit. And I think that. Mm-hmm from freshman year to, until my next relationship, right? That eight month stint, um, I was, I probably hooked up with a handful of girls and it was kind of like this constant, like, you know, going to parties, feeling insecure until I can, oh, someone is kind of maybe into me and I'm, I'm feeling better and I'm feeling something in myself, feeling filled up in some way. And then I'm like, yes, I'm meeting the standards of the culture and mm. I feel great about it. Mm-hmm. Th- that's really what drove me those in that eight months in between. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, we're going to get a little bit more into like what changed for Nick. And even he talked about that tension of, you know, my, my Christian friends are asking me like, what does Jesus have to say about sex and dating? And then my fraternity brothers have a lot to say about sex and dating yet. It doesn't feel like they, they jive together. So we're going to come back to those uh, questions after this break. Okay, now we're back. Um, and Nick, you, you started kind of, you know, hinting at the tension you were feeling. You were kind of having a few moments where you were connecting with Jesus a little bit. Um, and so did you have a turning point when it came to sex and dating in your life? And if so, what happened? The, the turning point for me, it was kind of two things were happening at the same time. I did stay in contact. I did stay in contact with someone that had been discipling me. His name was Bo. And... 
I was somewhat honest with him about my life. He, I, I know he knows what was going on in my life without me really saying anything. So I knew I was developing a little bit of knowledge around what scripture and what Jesus thinks about sex and dating just from talking to my mentor. Um, and so I was developing some of this head knowledge while I was doing everything that I was still doing. I was going for the relationships. I was going for the hookups, thinking that would bring joy, that would bring satisfaction. And every single time it blew up in my face and every single time it left me in a worse place than I originally was. Yeah. And so as these, as these two things were kind of coming together, you know, it's like Bo was kind of like, Nick, like. You can lay this down. Jesus has more for you. I'm like, no, I don't really want to let it go, though. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. Until one day, after another failed relationship from cheating, I was like, okay, maybe I just got to give this Jesus thing a shot, a full Mm -hmm. shot. And I think that was a big turning point for me. Yeah, I think that's a good word. Like, I think that there's a lot of fear. This is my experience, too, with, with dating and sex, is that, you know, is Jesus really going to be better than this? Like when right. I'm in a relationship and it's going well, it feels good. Like I feel satisfied. Like I feel like I have the approval I'm wanting or the acceptance. And then when it goes poorly, I mean, it sucks. Like you're just crushed. It's the but worst. I wonder like, you know, is Jesus, is Jesus better than this? Like, yeah. is yeah. it worth it to choose him? Is he going to treat me the same way? You know, right, and, and right. that's hard. I think that's hard for a lot of a lot of people to to let that go. Yeah, and that was a big question for me. I remember I would have these conversations with these guys, these Christian guys, and my mentor, and he's like, "Yeah, Jesus has something better for you." I'm like, "Really? Mm-hmm. Are you sure?" Because yeah. I mean, this ain't bad right now. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mind. You know. But it, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that was the big question for me is, can I really mm-hmm. believe that that's true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. So it sounds like you got to a point, right, where you're like, I'm just going to try this. Like, yes. Right. That last, that relationship, again, ended with cheating. And you're like, all right, I'm going to try it. And so what happened when you tried Jesus? Yes. Well, okay. <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest, I tried it got involved in another bad relationship. I said, okay, now really, really, really need to try it. And then um, what Jesus invited me to do in that season was to be brutally honest with myself Mm. and what my motives were for why Mm -hmm. I was doing what I was doing. I don't think I ever took my time. I never allowed myself to do that. And therefore, I just kept getting involved in these really messed up relationships. Mm-hmm. But I took a season where I was just like, why do I long for this so much? Why do I need to have sex so much? Why do I need to? I just started asking these questions. And, you know, it's kind of like the, the five whys. It's like, why this? And I, after I got to the underlying roots, mm-hmm. um, it allowed me to get to a place that Jesus could actually minister to me and bring healing to me when I was actually able to be honest. So I think that that time in between or that time after that last one saying yes to Jesus was bringing myself vulnerably to him Mm -hmm. and saying like, okay, what do you have to say amidst this? And I think as a result of that, man, I mean, Jesus did the things that I thought that I needed to bring joy to my life. I realized that that was just no longer true. Mm. Like I didn't need to be in a relationship to feel valuable. I didn't need to be having sex to have like my pleasure or what, what I thought was right. 
and yeah. actually, you know, I threw myself into just being in scripture. I, I'd like listen to the Bible in a whole year. And I was just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going for it, Jesus. And I just found myself feeling more sustained and more joy, having more joy than I did in all those like random pursuits and mm. random hookups. You know, it's like, oh, I feel loved as who I am, even without those things. And that yeah. was crucial for me. That was crucial for me in, in my relationship with Jesus. Yeah, I love it. So it sounds like, I mean, God really transformed the way that you saw sex, dating, hooking up. And yes. I mean, there are, are there like practical ways that, that God really changed your dating life? Like, are there practical things that changed about the way you approached relationships and sex and dating? Yeah, I mean, on a practical level, I mean... As someone that came from just a lot of addiction, you know, uh, in in sex and dating, I I mean, I I had a couple key people in my life that mm -hmm. I looked up to, that I, I admired their relationships, I admired their faith, and I said, help me think about my relationships, help me think about how to create great boundaries because I simply don't know how. Even the relation last relationship where I thought I was doing it right. I didn't set the right things in place and it just totally blew up in my face. Mm -hmm. And so practically it was and like dating in community as in bringing people into your like dating life. That was foreign to me. Maybe as, maybe as a male in a fraternity culture where people don't talk about their emotions, it was just so foreign. Yeah. But I kind of had to like traverse through that uncomfortability because I knew for me to have a healthy relationship, I need to bring people that are more wise than me, that can help hold me accountable into establishing the right boundaries in that relationship in my context. Because it's not the same for everybody. Right. But I knew that I really needed that. So that was one practical thing that was really helpful. Yeah, what did that mean for you to bring community into your dating relationship? Yeah, so it meant a couple different things. Um, there, was a pro <laughs> there was a proactive aspect to it where it's like, help me make this relationship the most healthiest possible because I really wanted to honor Jesus. How do I make this relationship honor Jesus? And have conversations with them around that. And then we set up rhythms and frequencies of like just regular checking in. How are some of these things going that we implemented? Where was it hard? Where was it, where is it, where do you find it that it's thriving? And those were helpful conversations. And then there's the accountability side too, when <laughs> you want to run and hide because maybe you didn't do something perfect, but you have the freedom and space to share vulnerably and to confess yeah. and to be loved. And um, yeah, that's kind of what that looked like. So it's just yeah. regularly bringing people into what was honestly going on in my relationship. Yeah, I think that's good. That was a, a big shift for my um, dating relationships too later on in college. God did some transformative work in my life too. Mm, um, yeah. And I found that it was just so much of a healthier experience dating someone um, when I had people who, who knew him, like who yeah. knew him well, who knew me well. Um, and they could speak to both of us of like, totally. right, how is this going? Like, what did you guys do this weekend? Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or, or even like, you know, I had a, a mentor of mine, you know, who lived a couple hours from me and I would see her like once a month, but I made a, a major point of introducing him to her because I valued her insight and opinion. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And even with that, I mean, also when you're in a relationship, you're kind of, you're in the fishbowl right? Like yeah. you want to do right by the Lord. You want to do right by this person. 
And there's also this side where you're like, man, I have all these feelings and these emotions and I want to express these feelings and emotions. And, you know, when you have people that know you well Mm -hmm. um, and know what the pitfalls can be, they can really help in saying like, hey, let's create a specific thing around this. Let me help check in about that. Like, I remember my mentors would always ask like, hey, if you're going to go on a trip, where are you guys going to stay? Because I know, Nick, you're going to, it's late, you might fall asleep on the couch, you might be together, and we have to really make sure we're, we're going to put you in a great place so that you can't fall into something. I'm like, thank you, that's helpful, because if you don't say that, I'm going to do it, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, and it's out of love, right? Like, totally, these, totally. These friends, they're t- talking to you out of love. It's not out of judgment or you know, slapping your wrist. It's not legalistic. Like that was my experience. These people genuinely care about you and they care about the person that you're with, you know, and they, they want to make yeah. sure that, right, you're healthy, that you're there. You're honoring God with your life and you're honoring the other person. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, well, last question for you. Uh, what advice do you have for the Greeks in our audience uh, as they navigate dating and sex in college? Advice or encouragement? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I've hit on some of the community piece of it. So Mm -hmm. um, I'll try to think of something different. Um, For me, when I look back at my college experience, the thing that I wish that I did more than anything was just to be honest about who, who I am and what I struggle with. Mm. as my personality type I mean sometimes I remember like as an Asian American and in a majority culture context as well as you know you take all these different assessments you get to know more about who you are Um, I just had a tendency to really like hide things I had a Mm. tendency to make things seem better than they actually were Mm -hmm. I, I remember like my excuse for not hooking up with girls with my fraternity brothers was, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. But I actually wasn't busy. Mm-hmm. I was just really insecure. And mm-hmm. when I wasn't able to live into a certain image, I would hide it and I would lie mm-hmm. and I would mm-hmm. deceive. And man, there's so much underneath that, that Jesus mm-hmm. is like, man, I have so much more for you, Nick. Like, you don't have to keep living in that. Yeah. And if I was just more honest with myself in college, I feel like that could have saved me from a lot more from a lot of bad decisions or a, enabling a lot of unhealthy things in my life to continue to exist. Yeah. And so I think for me, like as people are thinking about sex and dating, I mean, man, there's just a whole world of insecurity and vulnerability that comes with it. And mm-hmm. I think the more honest we can be with people about that with our journey and the more people we can bring along that we trust and aspire to be like that we're open to wisdom um, from those people, I mean, it goes a really long way. And it's like really what I wished. When I look at my college experience, like, man, I really, I'm glad. I mean, hey, I'm grateful for where I am now and how the Lord has transformed me now. But man, it would have been awesome if I could have just been a little bit more aware and honest with the yeah. realities of my life when I was in college. Yeah, yeah. And that, um, I mean, that makes me think of the the episodes before this where over and over again, our guests have talked about how it wasn't necessarily the what of their behavior. It was the why, like when they finally got to the yeah, motivation, yeah, yeah. right? Yes. The why of what they were doing. 
that's when real change happens. It's not about this behavior modification, right? It's about this whole life transformation and getting to the root of what these things are, right? Whether it's totally. control, need for control, need for approval, yeah. power, et cetera. Yeah. Um, it's, it's getting in touch with those things. And that's where real change, lasting change comes from. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us. This was yeah. awesome. And uh, man, just even we we hinted about pornography and I'm like, man, we need to have an episode about pornography. And oh, so, man. Yes. Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms. Even touch today, <laughs> Sorry, I just kind of threw it in sex and dating. No, but, you know. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's all part of the journey. It's all um, free. Yeah, it's all free range, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yep. So uh, if you all liked what you heard today, make sure that you rate and review us uh, and subscribe to the Greek and Christian podcast so that you can stay up to date on all of our latest episodes. And as always, follow us on Instagram at Greek IV to get even more content on the intersection of faith and Greek life. So again, thanks, Nick. And we will see you next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Allison. My name is Hunter Bond. I'm a Chi-Fi and a senior at Clemson University. Greek IV has played such a big role in my life because it has allowed me to step outside of my comfort zone when it comes to my faith. It has expanded my way of thinking in an environment where I am challenged every day. Most importantly, I love the community Greek IV has given me. The Greek and Christian Podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus or partner with us visit greek.intervarsity.org.